0: Hey, welcome back to Dad Conversations, where we spotlight successful, interesting, and normal people who happen to be dads. Today I spoke to Mike Coles. Mike's an attorney who works with startups. We talked about how wealth and poverty affect happiness, the need for gratitude, the joy of cooking, doing his family's taxes as a 12-year-old, drawing maps freehand, discipline, the importance of art, a story about one of his clients who's a well-known media producer who should have hired an attorney a lot sooner and a lot more we began our conversation with a 20-minute chat on his startup that connects parents and their kids who are separated by distance and uh, then we went into his life story now if you enjoy this episode please go ahead and subscribe to the show the next episodes will include the founder of a b2b marketing firm a technology salesman and a renowned OBGYN doc and a lot more I'll talk with each of them about their different areas of expertise, their life stories and philosophies, and of course, their approach to being dads. All right, time to hear from Mike. Enjoy. Mike, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So you have built an app that connects you to your child who you're able to read him books uh, long distance, right? Can you tell me a little about that? It sounds like a fascinating idea.
1: Yeah. So uh, the basic idea of the app is how do I continue that kind of experience that you get when you sit down with your, your kid or grandkid and you read that bedtime story and, it's sort of the end of the day, and it's a nice way for the the child to, to have that closure, right? And then when you're not there, how do you achieve that? And there are a number of ways, especially as I've gotten into just telling people about the app, there are a number of workarounds that I've seen people have created over the years. But those workarounds are really just that, right? And so I thought, how can I make this something that really feels more, Integrated and more polished as an overall experience for the kid so that they're coming back to it time and time again. And then as the, as the adult reader, how am I getting that connection and that satisfaction and warmth that you get when you're doing it in person? I wanted to make sure that that platform created both of those, right? And, and so the idea being that particularly because of the way mobile devices work, I said, you know, I could create a system that allows you to create the content by just reading out loud into your phone and recording it like a voice memo. But then through the app's functionality, we actually sync your voice to the text on the screen, and the text is highlighted so that you're getting this more interactive experience with the kid at the same time. And then we paginate the content so that the kid also has that sense of, you know, and you know this, right, with kids, that they want to control the device. And so, we had to give them some functionality that let them do more than just stop, start, right? We want to have them pick the page, pick the book, and have it all integrated into a single platform. And so, that's what Choose Your Reader is.
0: Wow, that sounds cool. And I love how this is applicable to so many people, whether a parent is traveling, whether a parent is is, uh, separated, you know, living across town or across the world or deployed or whatever. Um, Great way to connect.
1: Yeah. So the idea was to make it as simple as possible, right? Uh, To strip out, frankly, the things that, I might call them bells and whistles, but I would also call them distractions to the main point. So yeah, when you go into the app, you click a story. I want to read Cinderella or, and we have books that are classics that you know, but we also have books that you've never heard or seen before. And so, you pick from a 100 books, five different languages, and you just click record, and the words are highlighted for you like karaoke. So, if you can imagine being at a karaoke bar and recording a song, or not recording, but singing a song, same idea, you're just following along with the pacing, and it's recording you page by page so that when you're finished, you have this recorded, paginated book, that we then allow you to store locally on your device. But then, more importantly, we store it in our cloud storage so that you can then share it by simply sharing a link. So you don't actually need to have, for example, a bunch of bandwidth. You're sending the content is as much data as text messaging. So, but by sending that link, what you're actually doing is allowing them to download the story you recorded from the server that we're restoring all the content from all the readers. And so they've got that unique link. They now have access to that story. But they can then download it locally because the other key was you got to be able to use this thing anywhere. And so you can't have to be you know sort of tied to an internet connection. You can be on a plane with no internet connection. Every story you've got is downloaded and stored locally for you to use anytime you want.
0: What have you heard as far as feedback from users?
1: Yeah, so everyone thinks it's a great idea. Um we we took our first iteration of this, launched it in January of 28, I'm sorry, 2019, and did about 6 months of just letting people use it and give some feedback. We then did some significant what I'll call user interface changes. They weren't changes too much to the way that the app worked, but just how it looked and was displayed on phones. So we did some changes there at the second half of 2019, uh, launched that. And then, yeah, I mean, the result has been great. Uh, people love it, uh, love the idea. And then I'm also hearing from people about, you know, that the moment when the child hears the voice of someone they know and love and what the, the adult who's physically with them, is able to communicate as well has been great because you know now they talk about the kids eyes lighting up and you know hey can someone send me the story whoever it is mom dad grandma grandpa you know i want another story from whomever it might be and so this eagerness to then get into what we're going to call early stage reading because the thing is the kids are picking up that literacy and language component in a way that is probably uh, something that we wouldn't have ever thought about connecting beyond the audiovisual, right? It's actually really reinforcing that literacy and language acquisition in a way that uh, gives the child such an energy for that they're doing it and consuming it and they have no idea that this is highly educational.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's one thing I like about it too, uh, where, Not only are they, it's a, it's a comfort activity and a bonding thing, but they're with the words being highlighted. So it's like, they're seeing it. They're hearing it. They're thinking about it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Did you have a background in coding or or technology?
1: (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I am, I, I like to say I'm tech comfortable right? So, I certainly have always been interested in tech of any sort. Uh, Part of my work as a lawyer is involving working with startups. And so, a part of that involves me just understanding their business and how they do what they do and why that's valuable this way instead of the other way. And so, that has been a part of my life. And that tech comfortable status certainly helped me but there was no chance that I was going to sit down and code this thing from scratch. But what I could do because of the the way that I have been close enough to technology to understand system architecture, I could map it out fairly easily. Um, I just couldn't create the code that was then going to make that mapped process functional.
0: And you're a, an attorney, which should back up and say you're, you've been, um working for, for many years, um, over 20 years, working with entrepreneurs, and I think you've had your own your own uh, practice for 15 or 16 years, right? And so, was that a natural, was starting your own business, do you think influenced by the fact that you're always working with early stage entrepreneurs?
1: Definitely, you, you kind of catch the bug. And so, starting my own law firm was that first moment when I stepped out and getting comfortable with the risks, but also the planning and how you manage your ability to create this business and have a business model that might even need to pivot and not be wed to that notion that you started with on day one. all of those are things that I have seen and talked to my clients through. And so there are times where I've had to sit down and say, okay, give yourself advice. What would you tell a client in this situation? And then, okay, that's the path. And it might be difficult, but you have to be willing to be honest with yourself and and give yourself that candid advice. That is the the best thing about leveraging a skill set that's not directly related to the task at hand, right? So, if I had been a coder, then I would be very much deep in the coding. But by virtue of being more on the business and legal side, It gave me a chance to turn the coding over to someone else and then to perform my traditional functions in this business space instead.
0: Specifically with this um, second business, an app um, after working with entrepreneurs and kind of being in the, in the game for many years. Like, is there any, whether it's tools, uh, people, books, organizations that have been particularly helpful? as you've kicked off this second uh, business?
1: Absolutely, yes. So I would say the, the one organization I'll talk about that was tremendously helpful for me to get initial feedback was a group called One Million Cups. And I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, they are, there's a group called the Kaufman Institute and they have around the country these entrepreneur Discussion groups, and they happen in the morning, uh, Wednesday mornings, and you basically apply with your business concept. You get up there in front of a room full of people who are entrepreneurial in their mindset, if not actual entrepreneurs, uh, and and then you can pitch. But the pitch is partly your ability to refine what you're doing. Really, the value of that comes in the second half, which is when these people give you feedback, and the feedback varies from. I don't have you thought about this issue or about this way to leverage your platform all the way to, hey, I'm looking at your product and I understand what you're doing, but as a user, this is what I need and I don't see how to achieve that. Um, they give you ideas on marketing. Uh, so it's it's really like a very, very quick study in an interdisciplinary way about whatever it is that you're doing and so. If you're prepared when you go in with an understanding of what you have and what you're trying to do, when you leave, you will be even more prepared because you will have gotten real live feedback from a bunch of people who, like I said, come from a bunch of different backgrounds. And so I presented Choose Your Reader, uh, you know, across the southern U.S. Um, basically, I did it where you're located out there in Raleigh. I did it in uh, RTP. Uh, and I did it all the way over in Sacramento, California. So um, basically taking the opportunity to kind of create this little road show for a few months and just say, hey, here's what I've got. What do you think? Um, now, fortunately, they've moved to an online platform. So really, uh, if someone wanted to do that, they could jump online without having to even worry about how to get from A to B. Uh, so I think that's also pretty cool as well. So. If, if that were the only thing i ever did it would have been tremendously valuable and i'm certainly glad i did
0: that's cool so is it like an accelerator or you know startup boot camp or something
1: well cuz it's only in that one you know maybe an hour or two that day right so it's not a long term engagement it is really a an opportunity to present in this moment here's what i have what do you think give me quick feedback Now, you might make some contacts and connections that ultimately uh, you use to go forward. For example, I ended up meeting someone who does a bunch of user interface and user experience modeling, and they're the people after I had collected all of this feedback that I worked with and, and we did the second generation of the app. So there's also an opportunity for you to find different vendors who might be useful for you depending on what you're doing. But it's, it's a one day thing, really one morning uh, thing where you're just getting that initial feedback I and mean, then it's up to you to be able to then leverage that information in a way that takes you to the next step in your evolution.
0: Cool. So you've been, you're, you're approaching two years since inception. Um, what's it like running a, an, a business that's an app? You know, and, and from my standpoint, I would assume my assumptions would be once you've got it up and running, it becomes a matter of marketing the app and making continual updates and improvements to the software. Um, and I would think I would approach it from the standpoint of contracting out the um, software help and either marketing it in your spare time or um, contracting the marketing. Is is that is there more to it than that? And and what has that journey been like of running uh, running the business?
1: Yeah, so when I started with this whole process, one of the things that I tried to do was say, who are the people? And I say people, what are the companies that are in a similar business model? Not competitors, but business model. Because by then examining the business model and their mistakes and their decisions, I could more quickly figure out where to go and what to do. So I say that in answer to your question because I spend a lot of time on content. And so if I had an app that, for example, was a cool game and kids play the game and they learn the alphabet. Well, the alphabet's not changing anytime soon. And so all I'm really looking at is how to gamify this learning of the alphabet. In my situation, I'm a lot more like Netflix. I'm in a content race at a certain level. Um, Now the thing that I had to decide is how much is content the driver as opposed to the platform's functionality. Um, And so that that decision then helps you to figure out, am I going to invest heavily in content because I need to have 50,000 books and I need to compete with Audible? Or Am I going to have a certain amount of content that makes the functionality usable, but also uh, appeals to a wide audience? So some people like books about animals and some people like books about sports, right? So it's those kinds of strategic decisions that I'm spending most of my time on, as opposed to, you're right, I farm out the development, I farm out the marketing. Uh, Those are not spaces that I feel like I'm some uniquely qualified person. So, instead, I spend time on what I'm going to call corporate, um, sort of a corporate strategy, but also beyond strategy, what is our primary mission? And if I can think about how to achieve that mission, that's where the strategy comes in. So, yeah, that's when you talk about running an app company, yeah, the, the piece that I do is applicable no matter what you've got. If you've got a company that sells, you know, shoes or sells jets. You still need to have a sense of mission and purpose, and then a strategy to align with that mission and purpose.
0: Yeah, I like that. Uh, you've got a lot of opportunities there. Um, it's called Choose Your Reader. That's right. Is that right? And it, I'm assuming it's available in that uh, yeah, Google Play and Apple App Store.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you go to either one of those and search for Choose Your Reader, pops right up. And, um, yeah, we got a free trial going as well, so you get to check it out uh, get a sense of how it works. And, yeah, it, and it's not terribly expensive. I mean, that's one of the things that I also wanted to do is to focus on making the, the back-end operation as lean and as responsive to the real needs of consumers. So that we didn't have a lot of excess uh, sort of cost weighing down the business, which then means we can actually deliver it for a lot less than you might imagine. So it costs $50 per year for unlimited reading, recording, uh, sharing, storage, all unlimited for that price.
0: Cool. I like it. I like your approach, too, to say, like, hey, we don't need to build out a million features right now because that's only going to add costs. And, and truth is, most users only use a very, you know, 10 or 15 percent of the features available. So uh, smart to kind of build those as, as you need them, not before you need them.
1: That's right. Yeah. And one of the lessons that I learned in that process I mentioned with the, the Kaufman Institute was be responsive to the market. So that you're not, for example, deciding this is what the market will want and investing so much in that and then delivering it only to find out the market says, you know, what I really just want is the ability to do that, this one thing. And you didn't spend any time on that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, be able to be responsive. But there's the, there's always a second side of that coin, which is you're never going to be able to build something that does everything that everyone wants. And so, you don't build that, because that's never going to exist. You you give the market what you believe you can deliver, and then you look at what the market is asking for and decide, is that really part of our mission? And if it is, great, we can look to incorporate it. But, you know, people have asked me questions like, well, can I create my own story and put it into your app, and to do that from a purely functional standpoint, is so incredibly different than anything else we're doing that it's not really part of our mission and so while you certainly might like that feature that one little feature uh, that's someone else that's going to be doing that app that's not choose your reader
0: gotcha yeah i like that so an educated uh, approach to the lean startup idea
1: yeah that's right
0: hey before we go into nope. your uh Profile and origin story, I'd love to get any advice that you have that you'd want to share with someone else who's kind of in your shoes, maybe three years ago as the idea is starting to hit them. They're thinking. Hey, I see a need. I think I could build out an app that's going um, to that need and you know, could have some some opportunity above it. What would your advice be to someone who's in that situation?
1: So, selfishly, I would say call a lawyer, but. Uh, <laughs> so, but the, the reality is before you even do that, figure out, th- don't worry about access to money. Uh, I hear so many people that start with that question, right? They say, how much does this cost? I don't think I have that much money, and so I can't do it. The, the market need will really help you identify whether or not there's cash available to get you there. So don't bog yourself down with this impossible task of raising money yet. Instead, figure out what is the market doing today to solve this problem? Because if they're not doing anything to solve the problem today, is it really a problem? And if it is a problem, you're gonna have to work to convince them. So for example, you know, you look back at, I'll I'll use Uber as an example in Lyft, these ride-share platforms. The consumer was dealing with the issue already, whether it be call a friend or call a cab or take the bus, right, walk, whatever you need to do. So there was a solution. They just had to decide how much were people willing to spend for a solution that was slightly different and, in their minds, better. What they also did, and this is another thing to think about, is when you're trying to figure out solutions, think about someone who's got a problem that is the solution. So, again, taking Uber as an example, they had people with cars, and they were doing nothing with these cars. And now they're saying, I have a way for you to leverage this asset and make a little bit of money, and you'll do that by helping these people who need a ride. Similarly, when I built Choose Your Reader, one of the things that I was very much aware of is there's this universe of people who are actually like me when I started, which is a dad who read bedtime stories to his kid and occasionally made up bedtime stories as well. And so there are all these stories out there that are getting no airtime. Um, One of the things that we've done in our model is I'm now not just an app developer, I am also a content publisher. So what I'm doing is I'm marrying these people who have created content with these parents and grandparents and family members who want content to read and these kids who would love to have this content read to them. And we have created a model where the, the typical book takes thirty dollars to $40,000 and 24 months to get one book on one shelf in one store. We're able to do one book, 30 to 45 days, $1,000. It's in 160 countries. So That's cool. I'm not just solving the kids want books problem or the parents want books to read to kids or the parents who are disconnected from a kid physically want to connect in a more meaningful way. I'm taking all of them and I'm basically also saying, by the way, there's all this content that is actually trying to reach you and it can't because you didn't go to the right store or go, or go down the right aisle or look on the right, the right page on you know Amazon or whatever it might be. We're finding the content and we're bringing it to you as well and making it actionable for you to use that content to educate and build relationships. So I would say, think about who else has a problem. That's not your problem that you're solving, but rather is the solution to the problem. You're solving.
0: Interesting. I'd like to also, while we've got you on the topic of entrepreneurship and, and your uh, immediate reaction is call lawyer, which I think is great. Um, could you tell me any common scenarios that you see? talented entrepreneurs who are heads down building the business um, what are some of the ways that they expose themselves to risk or um, may otherwise need an an attorney so love to hear any stories someone who maybe engaged you a little late in the game or or someone who um, reached out to you right away and you're able to avoid some headaches Uh, what would be some common situations that come up uh, from a legal standpoint in entrepreneurship
1: yeah, interesting story on that one. Um, I haven't related this story to people in a while. Um, right when I started my firm, I was approached by another lawyer who said, hey, I've got this guy, he's a producer for a very, or you know, previously was the producer for a very well-known recording artist, very well-known. Uh, but back, back when this artist was coming into their own and was just starting out Now this person wants to create a new band and they've done this work and they've put these people together to form this band and they've got this uh, studio where they're going to be recording music and they're going to be you know practicing and getting ready for shows and, and whatnot okay and so it turns out that one guy was the music guy, one guy owned the facility where they were going to do the work and one guy was the tech background that was required to make this facility viable. And these three guys were coming together, and they were all friends, and they were brought to me, and I sat down with them, and I said, okay, let me hear some music. And they played a couple of songs, and I thought, wow, this is great. This is going to be big. Now, you've never heard this song in your life because the next thing I said was, okay, let's get some paperwork together. Who owns what? What are the terms of the deal? You've got a lease on the space so that you can't. And they said, no, 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 no. We're, we're family. We're, we're, we've been together so long. We're not related, but we're as close as family would ever get. No paperwork necessary. And that's why you've never heard this music, because at some point, uh, one of the people in this group decided they didn't like the way things were going, shut down their piece of the operation. That blocked everyone else from being able to do their part, and the whole thing fell apart without any recourse to say, look, here's the deal that we agreed to. The thing that a lawyer does is not paper the transaction. That's not the real asset that a lawyer brings. The lawyer's gift is surfacing the points of contention that are going to arise before it comes to pass. And then helping you strategize how you're going to work through it. Um, I, I had a meeting, different story, I had a meeting with three guys who were planning to go into a business together uh, before COVID, and that business took a huge hit because of COVID, but I met with them. I went through worst-case scenarios on the, the financial piece of their business and how were they going to handle if something came to pass. I had no idea about COVID. This is probably 18 months before I'd ever heard the term COVID. But I asked them, what if there was some catastrophic event that came to pass that diminished your ability to operate for a significant window of time? What are you going to do? We talked through it. They agreed on a path forward. COVID hit. They had resolution built into their structure that they could go back to and lean on. And so there was no arguing about it because they had already hashed it out in good times so that they were happy to move forward in bad times. And today, they have actually rebounded
0: and now this business is doing better than it was a year ago that is cool and i like what you said about getting the thinking through the worst case scenarios and playing it out in advance uh what could happen and and talking about p- points of contention that everyone when, when everyone's full of uh dopamine and excited about starting the business uh, <laughs> everything's gravy right but you're thinking hey i've been here before <laughs> uh, this isn't my first rodeo so uh let's talk about what could happen and and that right. i think that provides like some peace of mind so that when things don't go perfectly according to plan the entrepreneur can say you know what we've already planned for this i know xyz's um the the protocol if we get to that point or this is how we would dissolve or this is how you know they've already planned it all out so um hopefully right. it limits uh later litigation and uh and heartache so And you get a sense of temperament, right? I mean, having and running
1: and starting a business is a question of temperament as much as it is anything else. And so let's have uncomfortable conversations with your co-founder because you're going to want to see how they respond in moments of emotional, psychological, intellectual stress. So when I say to them something they don't like, what is their response to something they don't like? Is it talk through, think through, I need a moment, or is it slam down the, the pen on the table and walk out of the room and then come back in five minutes and say, okay, I've calmed down. And I'm not saying that that second option means don't go into business. I'm saying in either case, ask yourself, am I willing to deal with that for the next
0: 10 to 20 years? Hmm. You know, it, remind, I'm reminded of um, in my Previous role working on large, very large, complex deals um, for my my company where we provide a all new uh, architecture of products and software, and we would bundle that with large uh, services, and the services could be transactional or managed services where we're operating someone's IT environment and uh, optimizing it, and there'd be contracted um, service level agreements and and penalties and uh, and the saying was always: "Great contracts make great partnerships." If you think yep. it through in advance, plan for it, and, and then everyone knows what the plan is to execute. And and when you don't, it's clear, and and uh, everything tends to work a little better. <laughs> so that's exactly good point. It. All right. I think we've beat that horse enough. So let's, uh, let's get to know you a little better, man. Mike, I'd love to hear uh, where did you grow up? What type of kid were you and what were some of your interests?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Ohio uh, in, in Dayton, Ohio specifically. So kind of a, I didn't know it at the time, right? When you're a kid, the world as you lived, it is the only world that there ever is. But Later in life, I learned, yeah, that was a, a rust belt community that was struggling with a lot of the issues that you still hear about today in terms of jobs and manufacturing. Um, so it was, the, but it was an experience for me where not knowing that there was this other world, right, my access to the other world would have been purely from a sort of pop culture, and media that I would have consumed, like TV or magazines. And so that was still, mm-hmm. to me, foreign. And so it didn't impact me as a loss, uh, because to me, those were just, uh, it was almost fantasy land. So growing up, you know, fairly poor, uh, one of the things that we were able to do, though, is find ways to really enjoy time without the, the necessary expense. And the extravagance that comes along with some of the stuff I see now, um, that was important. And so, you know, I had divorced parents, but both active and involved and available to me. And so that was a, a fundamental part as I went through my own divorce years later was to realize how much it mattered, how much access I had to my father, even though he was not the custodial parent. And so then to do all that I could to make sure my son had continued access to me as well. Um, so that was kind of that, that early years were all about just figuring out what I wanted to do. I was also I was a pretty smart kid, and so I had these varied interests. And, I mean, you, you'll laugh when I tell you, but when I was thinking about what do you want to be when you grow up, and you say, okay, if you're 10 years old, maybe you want to be a fireman or a football player or something like that. Um, You know, when I was 10, I wanted to be a chef (laughs) of all things. Um, And so I was probably cooking more than anybody in the house before I was 12. Oh, that's cool. And so, yeah, I just, my one year for Christmas, I was, I think, about 11. And my mom says, okay, what do you want for Christmas? And my big gift, my big ask was, I want to walk. really so stir fry i wanted a walk i mean i i and she got me a walk and so you got to keep in mind this is the 80s right so i you, you when you got a wok in the early 80s you had to season that sucker on your own and i don't know if you know how to season basically cast iron but i spent my wow. christmas day seasoning a cast iron wok.
0: wow wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're a different breed man that's cool my so i i've got my my 10 year old can make quesadillas and um he can use a little george foreman grill to make some you know grilled sandwiches <laughs> that's about it <laughs> what what else were you what were you making when you're like 10 11 years old what kind of uh items were you cooking you remember oh gosh i mean all over the map um
1: we ha- i have uh, an older sister and if she listens to this podcast, she's gonna realize the truth of what I'm telling you now. And the deal was who washed the kitchen changed every other day, right? So um, you know, she's got Monday, I've got Tuesday, she's got Wednesday, I've got Thursday. So on her days to clean the kitchen,
0: I got extravagant. Yeah. So <laughs> you that's definitely <laughs> sibling behavior.
1: Yeah. So on my days to clean the kitchen, you know, I might make some burgers, make some fries, but no, man, I would, I would get in there and, like I said, I mean, first of all, I've got a walk going. I've got dishes like, um, I used to make, I didn't know how to make an omelet. I'd never learned. And so I would end up making omelets accidentally. Um, because I would end up overcooking the egg on one side and then like, well, let me just flip it and close it up. And there's an omelet. And I, and I discovered omelets that way um, because wow. I didn't have, a, you know, I didn't have any formal training. Right. My mother was in grad school at the time. And so that's why I was taking over the duties of cooking was that she was in night school going to grad school. So she worked all day, went to school at night. She got home. It was seven o'clock. And so dinner was ready, I cooked it, and it was whatever I could come up with. Um, I was all over the map, lasagnas, sure, let's try it. Um, it's got stuff on the box, you can read it and figure it out, let's go. Uh, and my mom had The Joy of Cooking. I don't know if you know that cookbook. It is the only cookbook I've ever used because that's the cookbook I used as a kid. And when I got my own hot place, that was the cookbook I bought. Um, And it's it's great because it's more of an encyclopedia of food, and it talks about how to cook, but not necessarily all that many recipes. And I would Mm. just sit back and read, and it says, okay, here's conceptually how you cook chicken or duck or, you know, anything. And, oh, okay, that's conceptually how you do it. Now let me take my shot at it and see what I can come up with.
0: That is awesome. And cooking is one of those things that it really is a skill. It takes time and, and practice. And I've, I I need to check out that book because I I think I would like that, the conceptual stuff. Like I'm, I'm untrained other than just, I've um, started with learning recipes and then freestyling. I never make the same dish the same way twice. You know, it's always a little bit different, Um, but but I can make a few things that are good, but I don't know some of the sort of um, theory or um, some of the basic principles of cooking that I just haven't ever been taught. Yeah, I I love that that book.
1: Um, And I'm the same as you. I I can think of once, and and I mean that literally once, that I've made a dish twice in the last 15, 20 years. So yeah, it's it's an important to me, and it's funny we're spending a lot of time talking about cooking. Um, it, it's such an important thing that actually one of the next books that I want to write is a cookbook for Choose Your Reader, because I just think oh cool it, it's the kind of thing that you can really play with for the rest of your life.
0: You mentioned growing up in a you know like me growing up poor and and uh, seeing stuff on tv or pop culture that's very very foreign uh from the standpoint of no one you know is like that necessarily um limited economic opportunities i was really fortunate growing up with i had good people around me even though there weren't you know great jobs and education and all that but um I never think of like hunger games what it's like for someone who's in you know in one of those uh whatever districts um and and then they're looking at the capital and like man that's so weird and foreign and uh it's just you can't believe it's the same world but it's almost like that growing up poor i mean my my city or my town growing up in like i was like oh yeah rich kids live in this neighborhood i'm giving my wife a tour of the city like yeah this is where the rich kids are and then i'm like wait a second now as a you know 30 year old adult i I see this same town like that's not those aren't rich kids those are just the only kids that don't live in a trailer you know um, yeah. They just live yeah. in like a modular house, you know, but to me it was like, oh, man, those key, those people have money. You know, they got they got new shoes. They've got, uh, fan, you know, most of their their gear is, you know, name brand clothes. Like, whoa, those guys are loaded. You know, <laughs> right. No, you're, you're so right. And uh, you and I both went to Duke.
1: Uh, I went undergrad in law and I think you went for your MBA, right? That's right. Yeah. So duke was my introduction to a different understanding of wealth because uh, you're exactly right to me the rich kid was the kid whose parents gave them a used car when they were 16 or 17 and you know it was a a pontiac and so there you go and so then you get to a school where you've got this really broad range of wealth. <clears throat> and here's the kid that shows up with the brand new BMW. I've never seen a BMW in person right, at this point in my life. Um, so to know that a kid, right? You're 18 in college and, and you've got one. How is this possible? And so <laughs> that was the adjustment. But But my father told me something that I remember to this day, and I intend to tell my son the same thing, which is you don't need to spend time with kids who have as much money as you. You need to spend time with kids who spend money like you do. Because if they're rich or poor, it doesn't matter. If they're spending at a level that you can't keep up with, you're going to find this disconnect and you're going to get overextended, right? Mm -hmm. So, that's what I did. My roommate became my best friend, but he came from, I wouldn't say like an uber wealthy family by any means, but certainly a family that, you know, could afford private school uh, when he was growing up. Um, And so, but that didn't matter because the wealth that he brought to the table wasn't as important as the way that we spent our free time and the kinds of things we enjoyed doing and the kinds of economic decisions that we were both making, and they were in line. And so, we had a great friendship for years based upon just the fact that we're both spending money in a way that is reasonable and rational.
0: That is a really good way of looking at it. You're dead, and it sounds like a wise man. I, he, he, that, I was, that thing carried me. Yeah. I, I, mean, I guess we're going on a little bit of a, a tangent here, but I think it's an important topic. And um, I'll I want to share I was talking with my wife this this idea like hit me while we we're driving and um, this was maybe two weeks ago and I was thinking about wealth and, and spending money and happiness and think of money as like um, paint available to an artist who has a blank canvas and you could give an unbelievable artist just you know black and white paint and they can mix it into different you know grays and they can do a a painting of some beautiful scene in all grayscale and you could immediately see that and go wow that's incredible that's a great artist now if you give them additional color they could make it even more impressive and, and vivid and, and um, but either way it's beautiful now you could give someone who like me who knows nothing about painting and give me every color in the world and I'll make something that's awful and I'll just be throwing color around, making stupid decisions, <laughs> trying to make something cool. And I thought about money is like that where you have some people who are broke or, or they're um, middle class or upper class that know how, they know what's important in life, they know how to be happy and use money as a tool um, or or the lack of money um, and they, they find a way to be happy. And then you also see people blowing throwing around insane amounts of money trying to find happiness you know um whether it's spending ten thousand dollars on some you know steak from Japan uh that they had imported on ice you know and it's like I'm like what that's what you're looking for for joy like that's right to have fun with your friends for an hour and a half on a Saturday is ten thousand dollars you know but anyway so that was just kind of like a a thought that hit me you you probably relate to that with, with your upbringing and your dad. Absolutely, it's funny. I was part of a, a
1: group doing some training, and I didn't know most of the people in the group, but I knew one other one other person fairly well. And so, as we were doing this diversity training, they were asking us questions about our upbringing, and they got to this question. They said, "Okay, I want you to raise your hand if you grew up with enough." Not enough or more than enough? And we're not going to tell you anything other than that. Did you grow up with enough, not enough, or more than enough? This other person that I knew grew up very similar to me. We are the only two who raised our hand with more than enough. Everyone else grew up with more than us in theory, and they all raised their hand for enough. Wow. So that perspective is where it matters, right? Uh, Because he and I probably looked at it very similarly, which was, could you have taken one thing that I had away and I would have been okay? Just one thing, could I have lost one thing that I had in the last 20 some years? And the answer is yes, and I would have been okay. So then I clearly had more than enough.
0: Yeah, that's cool. it really—it seems like gratitude is the the key to happiness, you know, being thankful for what you have and and being able to prioritize what really matters. Yeah, I, I still agree. Still so agree. tell me about tell me a little about your dad. Um, I also grew up with my my parents divorced when I was like, uh, eleven or twelve. Um, so I spent some time with my mom, some time with my dad. Like, um, what was it like? Uh, with him raising you what's one thing that he really nailed as a father and you know if you have any cool stories would love to hear anything you want to share
1: yeah yeah so my dad was really a the voice of sort of rational reason in conversation with me he and i could sit around today my father is a baptist minister Uh, he was not when i was younger he only went to seminary here uh, in the 2000s, so I was long gone out of the house. But he was always active in church and always interested in church and even uh, led a Bible study in the basement so, himself, uh, even as a, a young adult, so still in college, I would go to these Bible studies in the basement when I was home for the summer. And so he, because of that, what I'll call intellectualism and philosophical thinking about the world on one side, um, which is not necessarily the way you think about religion in most cases, um, he brought those two together. And so when we were talking about anything, you could certainly with my dad have a philosophical discussion. And we, we do that all the time, even to this day. Uh, we talk about, uh, for example, when, when the election's happening and everything going on, one of the things that we talk about is, okay, how does this look, how does this plan work in terms of where does the Republican Party go? Everyone sort of jumps up and down as a Democrat and that's fine, but he and I will sit around and talk about where does the loser go from here? And how does the loser learn something from this moment? We did the same thing in 2016 when the Democrats lost. Where does the Democratic Party go from here? So. Growing up with my dad, he was very much interested in having those conversations and not in a way that was uh, pedantic and, and pushing down something. He wanted to know what I thought and why, and and that even occurred at, at an age where I was say 12 years old and we would have debates. And sometimes I thought, is he taking this position just to see where I'm going to go or does he really believe this? And, and so, uh, that was really fun. Uh, the other thing that was interesting is that, you know, as a young boy becoming a young man, there's a lot of tension around what is manhood. And, and that is a thing that I think, uh, when they talk about the absence of fathers in young boys' lives, that's what's missing. When a father isn't there, the ability to communicate and, and more importantly, demonstrate what it means to be a man. And that part of that process was interesting because one day my father said to me, and we were talking about punishment and how he intended to punish me for something. And he specifically said, it's not gonna work if I hit you, that's not gonna happen. And so it's up to me as the parent to be able to explain to you why I want what I want and why I'm taking the actions when I didn't get what I want. And then it's gonna be up to you to decide whether you're willing to suffer the consequences that I've outlined the next time you have this decision to make. And that's it. This is a two-party process and it's a continuing process forever. I'm gonna set some terms that I expect. You're gonna decide whether or not you follow them. I'm gonna set the consequences for not following them. You're going to decide how you feel about those consequences and make your next move, and that's adults. That's actually not parents and child alone. That's the same thing you get in a business situation. I tell you that I expect 10,000 units of XYZ product. You tell me that you're only going to deliver 5,000. I've got a choice to make, right? And it's a back and forth thing, and there's, there's no value in, as a child in a, in a relationship with a parent, hitting the kid. It doesn't change what just happened right so that's not useful it doesn't work for you to slam things and cuss and fuss right that's not going to change things either it's just two parties trying to navigate a continuing relationship and they have to make the conscious choice that they want to continue in it in order for it to survive
0: I. We need to add an amen to that. I mean, we could, we could drop the mic right there. <laughs> that's good. Just intelligent wise parenting.
1: Yeah, and now I'm a lawyer telling my clients the same thing. You know, I, I had a call uh, Monday uh, this week where the other side was offering my client something, and I, I told my client, that's not a good deal for you. And so, we were on a call and they said, okay, what's your client's answer? And my response was, I have told them it's not a good deal. They have rejected your deal. And if you don't like the solution, that's fine, but they're not moving forward with anything else unless the deal makes sense to them. So, your move. Good man. And then. Um, so, but I, also, I will say, just as a note to that, That takes a certain level of detachment, and so you've got to communicate that with a certain level of uh, consideration, whether it be uh, love and affection of a parent or as a business partner, either way. um, There's a certain amount of the emotional uh, relevance that has to be brought to bear in those same conversations. So I don't ever want to suggest that you detach all of that, but rather that you can articulate it one way and then follow up by articulating how important the relationship is. And why you're willing to go through this to maintain?
0: Yes, I'm. I'm a firm believer in being like consistent. And um, if we say there will be a consequence for X, Y, Z, that we makes that happen. But also, bedside manner is very important in the way that you approach it, and that everything is done with you know love and and uh, respect, gratitude uh, for all everyone involved. Yep, here's my amen on that one. I agree. <laughs> um, what? Tell me about your um, time. So, teenage, any any highlights from teenage years, what you were like, and then, you know, you, you loved cooking growing up. You ended up going to Duke. Did you study, like, um, lo, you know, law school would be done after undergrad. So, what did you study? What were your career interests early on um, after you know, being a chef, um, did you have multiple <laughs> interests? Um, were you dead set on becoming a lawyer? Can um, kind I of walk us through that.
1: Yeah, so um, by the time, so again, you'll say this is bizarre, but it's, it's true when I was 12. And I remember this because of my mother's response. She had a small uh, private counseling business. She had gone to grad school, gotten a master's in psychology and was now doing some, some counseling on the side. And I expressed to her a desire to be a CPA when I was 12. And so she said, fair enough, here's the family's taxes, knock it out. And so, <laughs> so she had, and I remember this, there was a shoebox of business receipts uh and and things and and, you know medical bills or whatever that she had accumulated over the year and needed to be calculated into the taxes and so i sat up there at this table and i remember doing it for three years and we moved out of that house when i was uh, 14 so i did it when i was 12 13 and 14 i did the family's taxes and uh, doing the taxes was basically on the one hand really interesting because Again, I know nothing about it. So I, I am a 12 year old that opens up the little, I mean, uh, the little book that you get every year with the, the 1040 in it. And I would tear it out on the perforated page. And then I would just start answering the questions. And then I'd have to go into the book and read. And so I'm doing it and learning taxes on the fly. Now for you and your listeners know that my mother years later told me I always took them to a professional and said that I had done it. So I got real advice. I didn't let my taxes be filed by a 12-year-old. But she said, you got it at 13 because there were no issues with 12, right? And you got it when you were 14 because there were no issues with what you did at 13. So you were doing well with it. But um, she never told me that she was getting them reviewed uh, after the fact. So I was so conscientious about having to get it right because I expected my mom was going to sign these and send them out.
0: Well, something about not having that safety net, you know you got that pressure on. you're like, "I gotta get this right." <laughs> it, right. it totally that's changes right. the behavior
1: so um but then, when I was sixteen, I did a mock trial in high school, and I will tell you that when I was standing there <clears throat> cross examining this one kid, the other school we were we were competing against. I finished my cross-examination of the kid, and I genuinely thought when I closed my little notebook, I thought I belonged here. And that's the day I decided to be a lawyer.
0: That's cool. That is good. So- I, some people just have a knack for that, just being able to Communicate that you got to be really strong on logic, and uh, you got to have a lot of uh, room for you know, just storage in that brain to to memorize a ton and and be able to recall it and and uh, be applicable to read people understand. I mean, I uh, in general, I think uh, attorneys aren't aren't getting uh, the best media coverage and and um, subjectively, uh. Or subconsciously, I probably don't have the best view of them in general, but what a demanding and challenging profession that really requires you to have so much broad knowledge to uh, apply to many scenarios. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that suits me because when I think
1: about all the things that I wanted to do, I wanted to be a chef. Uh, At one point, I, I... Again, crazy jobs that I wanted to do as a kid. I wanted to be a cartographer. And That's why, maps, right? I just, yeah, I just loved maps. I would I would sit and freehand draw the map of the United States and put in all the state boundaries and where the capitals were, and, and I would just do that. Um, wow. So I wanted to do that, and I wanted to, at some point, be an engineer. And then I wanted to be, you know, actually, I wanted to be a CPA first and then an engineer. And as it turned out, being a lawyer allows me to dabble in all those things. Um, And you would be surprised, right? But there are cases on top of cases about things like how far two points are in the country. Is this location 50 miles from that location or not? And and you think, uh, you know, when you talk about the bad rap that lawyers get, it's when those things come up because the average person says, well, well, you know if that's 50 miles or not from this location. And then you have to be sort of primed to think, well, wait, as they say, 50 miles as the crow flies is not 50 miles as you would drive. So, mm-hmm. um, So all these kinds of things that I was interested in as a kid have just come back into my life in one way, shape, or
0: form as a lawyer. That's interesting, that's cool to see. Uh, Tell me about something you've bought in the last year that was under a hundred dollars that has most positively impacted your life.
1: Oh, no doubt about it, Air Fryer. And I'll tell you, The reason is the air fryer that I bought has a clear window. So my son and I, we prepare food together. We talk about what we're trying to achieve. You stick it in the air fryer and he can really actually see it happening. And, and we can talk about, is it ready? What do you think? You know, do we open it now? Well, the time's not up, but maybe it's ready sooner. Right? And so, We really, here I am back to cooking, but that's one of the things that I really enjoy with him is giving him a love of not just eating, but a love of food conceptually, uh, partly because I want him to have a great diet, but also I want him to be able to think about how he puts something into his body for the rest of his life. Because once you start thinking about it that way, I don't have to talk so much about smoking specifically. I can talk more about why we put things in our body and what they do and give him the tools to evaluate, right? Because I would have never known about vaping at one, you know, it didn't exist when we were kids, right? So my parents right. couldn't have told me about vaping, but they could teach me about being conscious of what I'm putting into my body. And now it doesn't matter what the new drug or the new uh, you know, product or whatever it is on the market, I'm using the concept of putting something into my body
0: begin with. Following on that point, um, you strike me as someone who makes very conscious decisions about your your health. Um, What have you found works best when it comes to um, your food and exercise? So, uh, a friend who was a a bodybuilder
1: told me once, you can't outwork a bad diet. And that is the best advice I've ever gotten in that space. Um, so the net effect of that is that once you start thinking about portion control and variety and also preparation, those are the key things for me. Um, and, and frankly, I try to communicate that to my son. Uh, I tell him, going back to your painting analogy, I tell my son that he has to think about his plate as a picture that he's going to paint. And we would never want to make a picture that was all yellow and brown. So we strive in our family for three colors on a plate. A minimum of three colors and brown and yellow and white, we try not to count those. We look for vibrant colors on our plate. And so um, that's, that's where I've really been thinking about what I do with my own consumption is manage portions, but also manage the variety
0: in a way that is healthy. And then you're off and running. That's an interesting way to approach it that I've not seen or heard. I like that. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I just made it
1: up, and he, he he just jumped on it. And he he counts. He'll now come and say, Dad, I've got four colors on my plate today.
0: That's good. Um, If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Mm.
1: It would say probably something along the lines of life is simple people make it complicated. And the reason for that is, it doesn't matter which area of my life I've looked at, when I have seen difficulty and struggle, strife, turmoil, it is because people have injected complexity into a situation that could have been simple. Uh, So whether it's, you know, the conversation I was outlining with, my client and rejecting the offer from the other side, within the conversation we rejected that offer, they then came back and gave us the offer that we had said we wanted. And so, what was really happening was an effort at some gamesmanship. We want to see if we can convince you to do a bad deal, no you can't. Okay, the deal you proposed in the beginning is the right deal, we'll do that deal. That's unnecessary complexity. So. You know, the same is true when you're starting to deal with, you know, creating my app. Choose your reader really has to be simple because the the problem I'm trying to solve has a simple solution. And so all of the other bells and whistles and, and, you know, the layers that I could stack on top of this thing, so it slices and dices and chops as well, all of that is unnecessary complexity. And so, uh, you know, there's that, that adage that, you know, they say, keep it simple, right? Why doesn't it stay simple? And the reason is because we inject complexity into situations, but that's, you know, that's part of our own human experience is that we always think that we can layer things on top or that we have independent goals that we're trying to achieve that aren't really part of the overall mission of this collective. Stay true to the mission. Keep it simple.
0: You're going to do much better long term. Mm. I like that. What is something you've changed your mind on in the last five years? Oh.
1: Um, So, I would say, and, and this is coming from particularly my, my role as a parent, that aspirations for my kids, and so you having been at Duke, I'm a double Duke grad, right? So undergrad in law school, my ex-wife also a Duke grad, that's where we met. So when people talk about what do you want for your son, in the very beginning, there was this vision for me of what I wanted for my son. And in the last five years, one of the things that I have really worked at is giving him the tools to create the masterpiece of his life and then appreciating the masterpiece for what it is, not,
0: for the masterpiece that I would have wanted. Mm. You know, I was watching TV on Saturday night and there was a mixed martial arts match. And this guy who was, um, they were saying in the, in the broadcast, the day he was born, his dad said, you know, welcome to the world, such and such his name, uh, world champion kickboxer or whatever, some, some striking uh, martial art. And, and the guy became a world champion at that martial art before getting into mixed martial art. I was just thinking, that is, one, fascinating, and two, I wonder about, like, the <laughs> health of the relationship and the, the mentality. I mean, you know, the guy's clearly a world champ at something, which is uh, incredible, but um, it, it's both, like, intriguing and a little bit scary in my mind. Yeah, yeah, because it's probably true
1: that there are a million kids who will be born with that kind of very specific label, right? So take something that's a little more common, but a child is born and the child is is sort of, you know, christened with this, you are going to be a Super Bowl champion quarterback. How many of those kids are there? Born every day? And you know, another kid is born and they are given this, you know, meet the, you know, 48th president of the United States. And then here we are, right? And we're about to be electing another president, another president. And then how many times were these kids given this label? And we're about to meet a new one. And yeah, you wondered, so what does that mean? Um, because I also have taken the position that kids come out perfect, right? They are perfect in that they are the expression of one hundred percent of their opportunities at the moment of birth. And then parents come along and they start to unknowingly chip away at opportunities. And it's not, you know, malicious or anything like that. It's just the reality of life. Every time you take one step left, that means there's one less step to the right you can accomplish over the course of your life. Right. And so as parents, we have to decide is the thing that I'm doing one step to the left of that kid's mission or is it one step to the left of mine? Because the kid's going to be the one that has to live with this mission when you're
0: gone. Well, so, my I hear what you're saying. I think that's a very important topic. My my thought is there's some things that I think are just really cool. And I want to help the kid take at least two or three steps in that direction. But I also want to let them take a, a step or two in all directions and kind of survey the landscape and like see what they like, but I'm, I mean, it's no, I'm not going to deny that I'm, that I don't have a certain biases to try and steer them in in certain ways, but I do, I don't want to steer them, steer them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like what, what's your approach on that?
1: Yeah. So I think of it in terms of exposure versus expectation. So if you are exposing your kid to something, that is awesome. If you are setting an expectation for what they do with that exposure, uh, I might rethink that.
0: Gotcha. I like that. So, letting them sample the world in a, in a guided, you know, sense as a parent should do, um, but letting them sample different disciplines, fields, um, topics, uh, experiences, and then, not setting expectations for them uh, unless it's something they say hey dad i want to get really good at cooking and you can say okay what are some goals you might want to you know here are some some goals that other people may have set what would you like to set and here's how we can work a plan to get there am i would i be putting words in your mouth with that approach is that is that how you'd go at it yeah i mean you know i'll take you an example i had as a kid which
1: is playing the trumpet i wanted to play the trumpet so My mom says to me, that's fine. You can play the trumpet. I'm not going to buy you one, because the school will loan you one for the first year. And we'll see how much you practice with it, how much you put into it. And then you've shown me your commitment to the trumpet, I'll go buy you a trumpet. I will find a way to get the money together to buy it. But what I'm not going to do is have a trumpet sitting next to a tennis racket sitting next to, you know, a pair of ice skates sitting next to you, right? That's not going to happen.
0: Yeah. Man, I like your mom. You you got a good mom (laughs) and a good dad. You're a lucky man.
1: Well, it it doesn't feel that way when you're sitting there going, no, mom, I really want the trumpet. (laughs) Yeah, But but no, it, it was the right way. It was, you don't earn it after you get it. No, you earn it and then you get it. So. Let's get to
0: earning. I just feel like that mentality is getting lost nowadays. You know, just like, people, and and part of it's growing up poor, where you have to make some hard decisions. Like, I can't buy you the skates and this toy and that toy and the um, the trumpet. But but there's there's wisdom and strength in that because you know, as I talked to friends of mine who had no financial safety net from their parents, like they were, uh, I should say, we were. Um, diligent. If we decided to go to college, we were paying for it ourselves. We had all the skin in the game, and so we made it happen, you know, um, and, yep. and that that pressure to like, all right, hey, you want to it? prove it, you know. Um, there's just so many people who, to get back to the other analogy, just throwing paint all around and hoping the kids turn out okay, and, and um, you know, a little bit of like, you know, s- s- um, discipline and struggle is a good thing for kids. That's right. That's proven, right. Proven the, ground, maybe. The, the reason why sports
1: is such a great thing for kids, but so is band or mock trial or any of those other activities, is that it shows you the value of work on the front end connected with results
0: on the back end. Hmm. Never thought about it that way, but that seems so, like, basic and fundamental. It's a little embarrassing to say. I never noticed that, but really showing them the lesson that I learned as a late teenager or in my 20s that. Your work really directly impacts your results. Um, Yeah, good point. Okay. Um, man, this is a good I'm glad that um, we're doing this episode. It's been a good conversation. What? In uh, in your son is roughly how old? Did you say he was? He's eight, eight or ten or something. Okay. Yeah. So he's eight. he's growing and changing a lot as a as a, a child in in the last three to five years. Uh, so naturally your your parenting style is going to adapt um, constantly. But big picture, what are you doing better now as a father than three to five years ago? Hmm. So
1: now one of the things that I'm doing better is the ability to articulate what it is that's happening, but also in a way that gives him a chance to weigh in on what he wants to have happen. And so what we do now is, for example, um, I talk about this process with him of what activities he, he wants to get involved in and then whether or not he wants to go to, he's in Taekwondo. So do you wanna to go to Taekwondo class? You're supposed to go two days a week and you can go you know, any of these four days as uh, the way it's set up for his class. So which day do you want to go? And so he gets to say, I don't wanna go two days in a row this week, Monday, Tuesday, because then that means it's a whole week before I go again. So he is he is intentionally spreading out the joy that he gets from going to this class so that it's not all going to be piled in on the first side so then we get to talk Mm -hmm. about okay that's great but keep this in mind as well right um you go to the class you learn something are you keeping it up in the uh, in the times that you're not in class what are you doing to maintain it between classes so giving him a choice in what he wants but at the same time helping him to see kind of a full landscape but still make it his choice that's good and i think he enjoys that
0: i like that um if as you look out to the future big picture and you can answer this in any way you want but Um, As you look to the future, tell me one thing that you feel optimistic about. Mm.
1: I am optimistic about the idea that people will get back to relationships in a way that makes them more fundamentally life affirming. That right now, uh, relationships are, for the most part functional, right? Uh, You have a person with whom you might work or a person with whom you might be in a romantic relationship or a familial relationship, and the function of that relationship is important, but it's the function that drives it. I'm encouraged by the prospect that we might be able to get to a point where we see the relationship as the valuable thing. And I I can see that there are times where uh, social media started this, this idea that you might be able to connect with people and reconnect with people, and, right? But then social media went the way of this commercialization. And so I'm optimistic that people through consumerism and commercialization will suddenly get to the point where they start to say, you know what? I really just want the relationship." And so that's what I'm hoping we see. And, and I think as people are starting to reject a bit of that commercialization of relationships, that they will start to say, how do I maintain the relationship for the sake of the relationship?
0: Yeah, we're, we're very much social creatures and, and being isolated and, and living in a virtual world is uh, not suited to our population's health. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Hey, before we let you go, do you have any shows or podcasts that you want to recommend to other people to check out?
1: Well, they're already listening to yours. So if they're listening to this, right, um, So you do a great – and one of the things I want to say is I commend you on the frequency as well. There are a lot of podcasts that don't have that kind of uh, sort of robust content. Getting generated, and you've done a great job at that. I think that's really cool. Um, Thank you. And then, one of the things that I have been sort of listening to is how
0: I built this. I don't know if you know that one. Yeah, uh, Guy Ross. It's one of the uh, one of the best podcasts yeah. out there.
1: Yeah. So that's one that I have really enjoyed, and um, partly because it's helped me think about how to build
0: something. I think Guy Raz went, I could be wrong, but he went on someone else's podcast. And for if for anyone who's listened to Tanner Moore, How I Built This episodes, you'd love to hear his take on kind of building the uh, podcast and the, the series. Um, I, I want to say he went on Tim Ferriss' show, uh, but that was a really cool episode just to kind of hear a little behind the scenes and his approach and, and his prep for... Um, for doing episodes like he'll meet with them months in advance and and do a deep deep dive interview like um eh, before even doing the recording and uh as inter, i mean i've got a very different philosophy mine's just uh record it live and rough and and post it and <laughs> not too i don't have the time for editing and or nor the skill um and i'm i uh it's very uh, clearly debatable that I, I have any skill for even asking questions and uh speaking coherently but uh at least uh spotlighting cool people on here i think is is good but you you'd love to read or uh, see the one with guy ross if you haven't already I, I will check that out
1: and then i'm going to plug one more um uh, podcast that i i was on that i thought different concept than what you're doing it's a it's a podcast about Passion and Purpose, um, and so I, if you, I can't tell you the exact name of the show. I remember the woman that does it, but it's something like Working on Purpose or Working with Purpose. Uh, it's a woman named Elise Cortez, and I met her in Dallas in connection with the app, and we got to talking, and then she said, I want to have you on the show, and her show is really just about this idea of how to get engaged in the purpose as an organization, so it, it's interesting.
0: If you send me the uh, name, I'll put a link to it in the uh, on the website where we post the the show.
1: Oh, awesome! Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll make sure I get that from her.
0: Okay, and um, what is a good cause that you wish more people knew about? Hmm.
1: So, I would say, in general, the ability to get arts in the schools. That we we are so committed to the sports side, and you and I have talked about sports and arts. Um, if we could get more arts in schools and be sure that that kind of funding does not go away because, <clears throat> and this is the thing that people don't think about, art is about creating and creating is the essence of entrepreneurship.
0: Hmm. What any particular programs you have in mind when you think of arts cuz in my mind I maybe I'm I'm 50% robot over here but I also I, if I look at a budget for schools arts would be like the first thing I'd cut and that's coming from someone who is in marching band and um I, I mean, I guess just like art in elementary school and high school, like an art class to me was like the who cares? Boring. But um, you tell me what I'd love to hear more about why it's uh, you view that as so important. Yeah,
1: because so. Um, when I, I'm i going to take you to a new definition of art for the moment and um, in. I don't, I don't know if you read it in school, but the uh, Dante's Inferno. And, you know, there's this whole idea of the descending level into hell, right? And one of the levels of hell is reserved for people who have committed violence against art, is the, the way it's described. Huh. And the understanding of art at the time is more like art as an artisan, as a creator, as a craft kind of a thing, as opposed to it is inclusive of, you know, the Mona Lisa conceptually is art for sure, but it is not exclusive to poetry and, and you know, visual arts and things like that. It is all things that are made by man with purpose. And so hmm. if you can convey in a class that we are not drawing a picture of a house, We are creating a thing
0: with purpose. I feel like you would be a really good art teacher. Like if you're looking for (laughs) for a way to give back, you're just like, man, I got too much time on my hands. Need to be volunteering. That if there was art teachers like you, maybe I would have like uh, an interest in it. You know. That's that's a yeah, different way I, I of thinking you, about it. It's not like, oh, we're today we're doing watercolors. Today we're doing you know, uh, you know, some kind yeah. of plaster or like it was like a boring skip. Yeah, that's right. If, if we can do creating with purpose, we are in a holy state. Mm. That's cool because I mean, every, that's what um, humans do is we we're creative. That's ultimately what. Um, are, are saving grace, you know, um, interesting. I heard Naval Ravikant, uh, who's a real thoughtful guy in like, uh, innovation and entrepreneurship and VC. And he was talking about just like, Oh, we're creators. That's even if you, um, fast forward to some future state where it's like, Oh, we all we've automated, you know, food production and housing, and everyone has everything. Um, ultimately what we'll be creating is, is, new stuff um and and who would have thought even 15 years ago that podcasting would be a, a thing or even a job for some people but we we create um new innovation people who have um a profitable youtube channel that's just showing like reviews of of other digital products and and forums you know it's it's interesting to think about but really we're creators so that's I'm glad you said that I'm now more open to the idea of, uh, of art. And, um, maybe I wouldn't have that first on my list of things to cut if, if a school was doing budget cuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike, thank you for coming on. I have really enjoyed, uh, hearing all about your, uh, your story, your company, your career, Um, For someone, maybe it's an entrepreneur looking for legal advice, maybe it's a parent or a grandparent who wants to check out your app and connect with their kid, uh, or just someone who wants to find you and and say hi, where can people reach you?
1: Yeah, if you want to, you can reach me at chooseyourreader.com. And if you've got the app, there's an administrative contact inside the app, which reaches me directly. And then you can also reach me on my law firm side at colesfirm, C O L mcom
0: Awesome. Mike, thanks again for coming and um, we we'll look forward to being in touch, man. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, please consider telling someone about the podcast. You could talk to someone or send a text message. You could even fold them a sweet origami swan that has dad conversations written inside it. Or you could share an episode on social media, maybe even write a review of the podcast on your podcasting app. If you think the podcast sucks, that's totally cool. And I want to know why. Please send me any constructive criticism, such as, a new question you'd like me to ask or a request to stop saying um. Also, feel free to send unconstructive hate mail or whatever's on your mind. You can find me at Sean Radvansky on LinkedIn or DM Dad Conversations on Twitter. Whatever you do, I hope you have a great day.